Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
Breng het aan de loop. Breng het aan de loop. Laat alles. Breng het aan de loop. Oshio es amejo. Ivore es machlusejo. Higher and higher, higher and higher, higher, higher. Abdelo yuda. Oshio es amejo. Ivore es machlusejo. Higher and higher, higher and higher, higher, higher. Abdelo yuda. Shikirahu, 
He was short and fat and rode out of the west with a Mogan David on his silver vest. He was mean and nasty right clear through, which was kind of weird because he was yellow too. They called him Irving. Big Irving. Big short Irving. Big short fat Irving. The 142nd fastest gun in the west. He came from the old bar mitzvah spread, schlepping a salami and pumpernickel bread. He always followed his mother's wishes, even on the range he used two sets of dishes. Irving. Big fat Irving. Big sissy Irving. The 142nd fastest gun in the West. 
141 could draw faster than he, but Irving was looking for 143. Walked into Salt Saloon like a man insane and ordered three fingers of two cents plain. Irving. Big fat Irving. Big sport Irving. The 142nd fastest gun in the West. The James boys was coming on a train at first sun and the town said, Irving, we need your gun. Well, that train pulled in at the break of dawn. Irving's gun was there, but Irving was gone. <laughs> Irving. Big fat Irving. Big help Irving. The 142nd fastest gun in the West. Well, finally, Irving got three slugs in the belly. It was right outside the Frontier Deli. <laughs> he was sitting there twirling his gun around, and Butterfingers Irving gunned himself down. <laughs> Irving. Big fat Irving. Big dum-dum Irving. Big dum-dum dead Irving. The 142nd fastest gun in the West. Really? The Ballad of Irving, one of my favorites from the comedy albums that we love featuring in the month of Adar. Pretty funny, huh? David Dax before that with the hidden medley. You heard Yoni Z, We Belong. You heard part of Eitan Katz's Shalom Aleichem before I made that technical error. Uh, Hoshana's Purim with Lipa. Shrilly Lipschitz, brand new, with Yoim Shakulo, and of course, Regesh. Modani opening things up, and we say good morning. Welcome to a Friday on this uh, 24th of February. Oh, wow, today would have been my mother's uh, 97th birthday, I believe. Wow. Well, born in 1926. The uh, wonderful Esther Siegel, who now has a namesake, her first, uh, well, her first granddaughter from us. Named for her um, back in July. Pretty amazing. Third day in the month of Adar. The year is 5783, Tufshin Pei Gimel. And um, uh, tonight is the yard site of my brother who passed away, who passed away 12 years ago on the 4th of Adar. So tonight is his yard site. And as I always say annually, um, and this has led to a lot of people getting checked out he passed away from esophageal cancer at the age of 59 and if you have uh if you have a heartburn very often that leads to um to um reflux which leads to barrett's which leads to esophageal cancer so as we always recommend especially if you're at a certain age and if you have a history in your family, make sure to get an endoscopy. That's what it's called. There's colonoscopy, which many people are familiar with. Endoscopy, a test that's done uh, down the mouth and throat. And um, and get yourself checked out. Because if you have anything uh, growing in there that should be taken out, uh, the doctors could deal with it. And the earlier you get it, the better, obviously. Halavai would have happened in his case, but uh, God wanted it differently. So annual reminder... Get checked out, especially if you are a heartburn sufferer. 
or a reflux sufferer, make sure to get an endoscopy. Speak to your doctor. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Truma with candle lighting time at 522 in the New York area. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Uh, Malcolm Holmline, weekly update coming up in the 7 o'clock hour. Harry Rothenberg and Rabbi Yudin on Parshas Truma. And, of course, it's a Friday. You know what that means. Amazing music and more all day long, all brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Uh, just keep it here. There's not, nothing else to do. Just keep it here literally all day long, and you'll be very glad going into Shabbos with us right here at the Nahum Siegel Network. There's nothing stopping you. Ki ha mitzvah hazoi, sloi neflei simimcho. Eloi rechoi kohi, there's nothing stopping you. There's nothing stopping you. The rush of my heat, it's so close to you. The even there's nothing stopping you. Thank you. 
אשר ישלטו, אוי אשר ישלטו היהודים, הימור בשונאיהם. שלפעמים כשבני אדם שמחים ומרקדים, אזי חוטפים איש אחד מבחוץ, אזי חוטפים איש אחד מבחוץ שהוא בעצמו ומראה שחורה. בעניין השמחה, אותי משל, שלפעמים כשבני אדם שמחים ומרקדים, אזי חוטפים איש אחד מבחוץ אזי חוטפי מי שחד מבחוץ שהוא בעצמו, תומר השחורה. ומכניסים אותו בים כל חול לתוך מחול המרקדים. הורם מדלי דונד בי בני פרידמן. הזימן אנילי מילי בפור דאט. ארן רזל, הלב והמעיין, אייף דיי הד בן עמרם, ואתם מדברים על ג'אם ואייאם. Good morning, all. Thanks for joining us on this Friday Erev Shabbos here at JM in the AM. Candle lighting in New York, 522 on this Erev Shabbos. Make sure you know when things start where you are. It's Erev Shabbos, Parshas Truma with candle lighting, as I said, 522 in New York. And uh, I, I also mentioned that tonight is my brother's yard site. Arav Moshe Yona Ben Arav Zev Halevi. And as I said earlier, and as I say every year, he passed away from esophageal cancer. And if you suffer from heartburn, reflux, anything of the sort, get checked out. Heartburn, then reflux can lead to Barrett's, which could lead to esophageal cancer. What you want to do is you want to speak to your doctor about getting an endoscopy. That's the name of it. Endoscopy. E-N-N-Doscopy. And I know this announcement has uh, helped a lot of people over the years, so please make sure to uh, do what you can to get an endoscopy on your schedule, especially if you suffer from a heartburn, reflux, etc. 
Uh, on the app, it says, Nachum and the NSN family have a wonderful Shabbos from Ruthie Joel, Hattie, and Avery Simon in Riverdale. Thank you very much for that. Rabbi Cash says, your brothers are Shabbat Tahorosh, have an Aliyah, and a Lichtigagan Aiden. Thank you, Rabbi Cash. Anybody who wants to drink a Lachayim tomorrow morning after davening to Harav Moshe Yonah, I should say in memory of Harav Moshe Yonah, Ben uh, Harav Zev Halevi. Much appreciated. That's for sure. Friday morning, JM in the AM. Good morning, everybody. Coming up, we've got um, Rabbi Yudin, Harry Rothenberg, Malcolm Holmline, and more on a Friday Erev Shabbos here at JM in the AM. Erev Shabbos show with Mark Zamek, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. That happens at 10 o'clock Eastern time. Erev Shabbos music mix, final hour, all brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. All that happening today right here on the Nahum Siegel Network.
sweetheart Your honey bunch is home Where are you? I'm hiding <laughs> I've got a surprise for you Where are you? I'm hiding I bought you those gold earrings you wanted Where are you? I'm hiding in the front closet <laughs> I know it takes a second to get it, but it's pretty funny <laughs> JM in the AM with one of our Odd Dark Comedy segments As we wrap up hour number one <clears throat> on a Friday morning broadcast. Speaking of Adar, speaking of comedy, speaking of uh, Purim, uh, a congratulations going out to our good friend Gorf, Jordan B. Gorfinkel, and to Yael Nathan. They're responsible for the brand new Koran Tanakh graphic novel, Esther. That's the name of it, Esther. Check it out. It's pretty amazing. It's the Magerman edition Koran Tanakh graphic novel. It's called Esther. Megillat Esther, of course. And um, it's pretty amazing, frankly. So check it out, and uh, mazal tov again to Gorf and to Yael from all of us here at JM in the AM. Candlelighting at 522 in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are. It's Arif Shabbos Parsha's Truma. And um, this is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Round the world of web at NachumSiegel.com, on the NachumSiegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Golly, it's on the background. We'll do our news from Israel coming up here on a um, Friday morning era of Shabbos. Malcolm Honline, Vice Chairman, Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He'll be with us uh, coming up later on, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time. Get ready for that. And um, Harry Rothenberg and Rabbi Yudin will both have uh, discussions for us regarding Parshas Truma. We'll do those coming up. Harry in the uh, 7 o'clock hour, Rabbi Yudin in the 8 o'clock hour. Full schedule, of course, today, including the Arab Shabbos show with Mark Zamek. That happens at 10 a.m. Eastern time right here on the Nahum Siegel Network. Brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. And there you have it. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday hour of Shabbos follows next. We say Boker Tov from JM in the AM. Galitzal, Shashtime, Shalom Rav, Baulpan, Gainovotni, Mashekoreachav. הממשלה אישרה לפני זמן קצר את תקציב המדינה והתוכנית הכלכלית לשנים 2023-2024. כתבנו לענייני כלכלה, ישראל פישר מוסר, שתקציב המדינה לשנת 2023 יעמוד על כ-484 מיליארד שקל, וב-2024 על כ-513 מיליארד שקל. שר האוצר בצלאל סמוטריץ' אמר לאחר האישור, אנחנו רואים לנגד עינינו את המעמסה הגדולה מונחת על כתפי אזרחי ישראל, ועמלנו רבות כדי להיאבק ביוקר המחיה. הגשנו תקציב מרוסן ואחראי, ועמדנו במסגרות התקציב כפי שהצבנו לעצמנו, כך השר סמוטריץ'. כעת צריכה הממשלה לאשר את התקציב בכנסת עד למועד האחרון הקבוע בחוק, 29 במאי. כתבתנו לענייני צרכנות ותיירות, עינב קרנר מוסרת, ששר התיירות כץ החרים גם היום את הישיבה, ואמר שלא ישתתף בהלוויה של משרדו כהגדרתו. 
כהן לא משתתף בהלוויות, אמר השר כץ, והוסיף כי עם התקציב שהאוצר מציע, משרד התיירות יהיה סגור ב-2023. ובתוך כך, בעקבות חוסר הסכמות בין ארגון המורים לאוצר בכל הנוגע למשא ומתן על הסכם שכר חדש, ארגון המורים הודיע לפני זמן קצר שהחל מיום ראשון יהיו עיצומים בתיכונים. לא יינתנו לתלמידים ציונים, לא יתקיימו טיולים או מסעות, וכל פעילות שמתקיימת לאחר בית הספר תבוטל. כתבתנו לענייני חינוך, יובל מילר מוסיפה, כי רן ארז, יושב ראש הארגון, אף מאיים בשביתת התיכונים, ואם לא תהיה התגמשות מצד האוצר. חבלן משטרה איתר הבוקר בראשון לציון מטען לא פעיל ובתום בחינה העבירו להמשך בדיקה במעבדות הזיהוי הפלילי. כתבתנו לענייני משטרה הדס שטייף מוסרת שהרקע והנסיבות בבדיקה. גבר בן 27 נפצע בינוני לאחר שרכבו התהפך בכביש 77 ממחלף תל קשיש למחלף ישי. צוות מד"א פינה אותו לבית החולים העמק בעפולה כשהוא סובל מחבלות בגפיים. כדורסל ממוקדמות אליפות העולם, נבחרת ישראל תארח בעוד זמן קצר את נבחרת פינלנד במסגרת בית 10. הנבחרת שאיבדה סיכוי להעפיל לשלב הגמר, ינסה לנצח ולקטוע רצף של חמישה הפסדים במפעל. כתב חדשות הספורט יוסי ריס מציין כי המשחק הבא והאחרון של הנבחרת הלאומית בטורניר יתקיים ביום שני מול נבחרת סלובניה. בשעה זו נפתחו בתל אביב כל הכבישים שנותרו חסומים לרגל מרוץ המרתון. המנצח בתחרות הוא דומיניק קיפנגו, בן 32 מקניה, שסיים את המסלול בתוצאה של שעתיים, עשר דקות ואחת עשרה שניות. מזג האוויר לסוף השבוע בהיר עד מונן חלקית, מחר בעיקר בצפון הארץ ייתכן טפטוף, בהרים ובפנים הארץ תחול עלייה קלה בטמפרטורות. אלה החדשות.
שלום, מלאך עליון, מי מלך מלכם לכם, הקדוש ברוך Oh, 
It's really a very nice luncheon, isn't it, Mrs. Feldman? Very nice, very nice. <gasps> wow. Do you see who's sitting over there? Where? Over there. Oh, it's right. Helen. Tell me, dear. Do you believe that terrible, ugly story about her? Certainly. <laughs> What's the ugly story? I don't know. I thought you knew. I don't know. I thought you knew. But believe me, it's true. <laughs> Mrs. Feldman, you look wonderful. That's a beautiful tan. Were you away? Yeah, we went to Aruba. Aruba? Where's that? I don't know. We flew. <laughs> That's nice. Say, I have good news, darling. Sydney and I are going to Europe. Europe? Big deal. I was born there. <laughs> Listen, I hear your husband had some problems with his business. Uh, I hear that a crooked partner stole him blind. That your husband had to fire the account and raise some fresh money. It's true. On top of that, I heard uh, he had a terrible season, a flood, a fire. The employees were not on striking him. It's mm, true. Yeah, but I understand he got a new partner with a lot of money. He settled the strike and he collected the fire insurance. Uh, business is wonderful and terrific, huh? Then you heard about it, Mrs. Feldman. Yeah, but this is the first time I'm hearing all the details. <laughs> Ah, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> the great Hadar comedy segments here at JM and the AM. I just love it. <coughs> Friday morning, era of Shabbos. Thanks for joining us, everybody. This portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Enjoy 10% discount on all Abel's and Hyman products at kosherdogs.net with promo code radio. A&H has been serving the kosher world since 1954, and A&H products are available at better kosher supermarkets nationwide. Try A&H today or do what I did last night. Get a package of A&H Knockwurst. I'm telling you, I'm going through this Knockwurst phase. They're just unbelievable. And, you know, Yoshua Siegel agrees with me. They, they are just so delicious, the A&H Knockwurst. You toss them onto a, a hot dog bun, put on some relish, a little bit of barbecue sauce. It's just amazing. Just amazing. Anyway, we salute you, A&H, and thanks for everything. A&H, proud sponsor of the Nahum Siegel Network. Um yeah, so try A&H today is right. Uh, Harry Rothenberg has words about Parsha's Truma. We're dedicating it, of course, to a full, complete, speedy recovery for Ruchama Chana Etel Baschava. Ruchama Chana Etel Baschava. Harry Rothenberg on Parsha's Truma here at JM in the AM. I was in Israel this past week, and one morning I was praying at a Hasidic shul. Why not? Visitors are welcome, and I like all Jews. In the middle of the service... A young chassid walked up to me, 10 or 11 years old, under bar mitzvah, not wearing tefillin, and he started asking me something in Yiddish, which is a problem because I don't speak Yiddish. I figured maybe he's looking for a donation, but he didn't have his hand out, and I made a face at him like, I don't know what you're talking about. He starts pointing at me. And I still couldn't figure it out until I realized he's pointing at my talus, and the light bulb went off. I know what's going on. In Israel, unlike in the diaspora, the Kohanim blessed the congregation every single morning during prayers. He needed to borrow my talus. So once I realized that, I kind of bent down, dipped my shoulders so he could take it off. He went up to the front of the room with his fellow Kohanim, blessed the congregation, brought it back to me, thanked me. I thanked him for the blessing. Great. But that morning was Rosh Chodesh, first day of the month, which means there's an extra Amida in Musaf, which means the Kohanim blessed the congregation twice. Comes the time, 
makes a beeline right at me, my new buddy. He doesn't even have to ask. He reaches. I bend down so he can take the talus. At this point in time, we're basically sharing my talus. He goes up to the front, gives the congregation another blessing, and then brings it back to me. I made a new friend. Why am I telling you this story? Because this week the Torah continues its transition from mostly narrative, mostly stories, to mostly laws. Last week, there were many laws, but they were of wide-ranging implication. We applied to many different types of people. This week, much narrower. We're talking about the blueprints for the building of the Mishkan, the tabernacle. So if you're a Kohen, that's interesting. It's your office that's being built. But if you're not a Kohen, if you're a regular guy, Tom, Dick, or like me, Harry, like what practical relevance does that have? We're not Kohanim. So God knows what he's doing. He specifically asks all of the Jews to contribute toward the building of the Mishkan. And the two people that he appoints to build it are not Kohanim. They're not even from the tribe of Levi. He's hinting to us, telling us, we all have a share. When he says, build it so that I'll have a place to live, we're building a house for all of us. And that applied to the Mishkan, and it applied to the temple when it was built, and it applies to our Mikdash Ma'at, our tiny temples nowadays our shuls, and our bate midrashim, our houses of study. We have to remember, they're not just for the Kohanim, they're not just for the rabbis, they're for everyone. They're for the people who are members of the shul, they're for the people who show up three times a day to pray, and they're for the people who show up once a year in Yom Kippur to pray, and for everybody in between. And, don't forget, they're also for the people who don't show up ever. We're supposed to keep them in mind as well when we pray, all of our fellow Jews, and the non-Jewish world as well. We're supposed to keep them in mind, too, when we pray. Thank you, Harry Rothenberg. And those of you who have not yet seen the Kosher Halftime Show 2023, brought to you at a Rothenberg law firm, InjuryLawyer.com. Please get to it as soon as you can. Go to NahumSiegel.com or go to YouTube. Search uh, Kosher Halftime Show 2023. Or go to our YouTube channel, NahumSiegelNet, and enjoy. Rabbi Mendy Hirth is with us live via telephone. Uh, years ago, he started a very, very interesting Purim initiative. A lot of uh, parents and grandparents uh, have been frustrated that Purim night uh, often was, and in a way still is, dedicated to um, behavior that's not just uh, unsavory sometimes, but behavior that's often unsafe amongst our youth. I mean, the truth is amongst older people as well, but we won't go there right now. <laughs> so Rabbi Mendy Hirth undertook an initiative to um, assist synagogues and uh, yeshivas and schools who want to participate in his program um, for a much more meaningful Purim night for the youngsters. Um, he started this initiative so that it would be a much more meaningful Purim night for the youngsters. And everybody out there is encouraged to support this initiative as we get more details from Rabbi Mendy Hirth. A pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Good morning, and thank you for having me. A pleasure. So this actually started in 2007, and the way it started was there was a, a Bacher learning in Yeshiva Gedola of Passaic. He had yard site for his grandfather, and he wanted to make a him, And he couldn't think of how he could get 10 guys to sit down together long enough to make a him. And together with his roommates, he came up with an idea that if he offers a free meal, maybe he'll be able to get a minion. And he put up a sign 
saying if you agree to learn for an hour and a half, I'll this provide is, you with a meal. This is Purim night. This was Purim night after Megillah. Right. And he was um, hopeful that he would get a minion. I saw the sign. I was thinking if this works, it could be a game changer. And I asked him if I could be a partner. He actually turned me down. He said he could afford even 20 guys. 80 guys signed up. He couldn't afford it. He came running back, asked me to be a partner. <laughs> yeah. The next year, he wasn't there. And it was uh, Purim on Matzah Shabbos. And I undertook to do it on my own. I asked someone, I said, do you think this is a good value? I'd be spending $1,500 to have 100 guys learn for an hour and a half. He said, you don't understand what's going on, then, if you could ask the question. On a typical year like that, they would leave after Shear on Wednesday, come back on Tuesday the next week in time for Shear. Because Thursday, Tainus Esther, there's no Shear. Friday, there's no Shear. Sunday would be Purim. Shushan Purim would be Monday. They wouldn't be missing Shear for a whole week. And this way, they stayed. And a whole week of learning was gained for $15, not just the hour and a half. And things just grew and things happened that I never dreamed of would happen, never thought is happening, and that this is a, um, a, a fix to problems that we didn't even know existed. The third year I expanded to 6th, 7th, and 8th grade in Yeshivic Tana Passaic, and a parent told me afterwards that I, I, more than what I see I accomplished, what I don't see is a bigger accomplishment. And I told her, I really don't understand what you're trying to tell me. Talk to me in English. The Purim collections many times by younger boys are arranged by themselves. And only the most amazing guys are wanted in the car. If you're a nerd, nobody wants you. Purim's Gehenim, and they cry themselves to sleep. And I met the father of such a boy. Father and son collected for two years by themselves. Nobody wanted his son. I spoke to an administrator in a school asking him if they wanted to establish this program, and he said, you don't have to tell me anymore. I was such a boy. And you could hear the pain in the adult's voice so many years later of that Purim night. And this eliminates that. But I don't want to focus so much on negatives. I had this year two inspiring things that happened, which I'd like to share with you. I got a call from a girl's school, an out-of-town base, Yaakov High School. They heard what I do, and they wanted to know if they'd be eligible. And I asked them, what is it that you want to do? They, they need to keep the girls in-house because what goes on there Purim night when the girls are outside I'd rather not discuss. I said, okay, fine. I found them a sponsor. It was $10 a girl, 180 girls. And it was an amazing experience. Mothers wrote in afterwards glowingly about how it, the event was off the charts. But there was one girl in 12th grade that had already stopped coming to school. She was on her way off the derech. And she came to the event. And it did something to her so that for the rest of the year, she didn't miss a day in school, and now she's learning in seminary in Eretz Yisrael. There was a, an administrator in Canada that I spoke to, 
that during COVID they had a curfew. They couldn't learn at night. So they decided to learn by day, early in the morning. The curfew was lifted by 5 a.m. And they, they called it Fire Tug before the day. And it was great. When COVID lifted the curfew regulations, they wanted to go back to at night. A number of boys approached the menial and asked him, could he arrange that they should have the Fartog also? He says, I don't <laughs> believe you're serious about it because you're going to be late at night. Who's going to get up early in the morning? I want to see it in writing. Show me you're committed. Sixty guys signed up. And he's, he said it went off so well that now they make it both sperm at night and by day. Pretty amazing. Mendy Hearth, Rabbi Mendy Hearth is with us live via telephone. We call it the Purim Initiative. We'll ask him in a moment what he officially calls it. But as you hear, uh, youngsters are spending their Purim night in a much, much better way uh, than they might have used to or that we had gotten used to over the years, uh, certainly in a much safer manner, one that parents and grandparents can be thrilled with as opposed to, God forbid, any other type of behavior. That's why we're appealing to this audience uh, to be as generous as possible and to help support uh, the effort to get this into as many schools and yeshivas as possible. So what are we officially calling it, and how many students, how many young people do you think will be affected positively because of this initiative, this Purim? So uh, I'll, I'll tell you that Shavuos doesn't have a name, and this doesn't have a name either. because Oh, good, so we can call it my Purim initiative. I like that. You could call it that. Um, I once joked to Rabbi Friend that he had said by the Siyam Hashas that it doesn't make a difference whether you do Yoimi this or Yoisa or, or that. He says the main thing is you have to have a plan. So I called him up. That stands for Perm Learning at Night. You have nice. to have a plan. Uh, and how many but, do you think are affected positively by the program now in 5783? This past year, there were over 11,000 people learning due to this program. Uh, that doesn't include the Mir Yeshiva Neretz Israel because I have no way of getting a number on that. But um, there are, I got a call this week from Panama. Last week, I got a call from Australia. I've um, had email contact with um, a group in Mexico and in Moscow and in Johannesburg. Um, some, by the way, learn both night and day. Some only learn by day, and most learn by night. Um, there will be starim in Eretz Yisrael both days, wow. um, on Shushan Purim and Yerushalayim, and um, the first day when everybody else has Purim. But um, it's, it's actually a lot more than just the boys learning, because when this started, or when my kids were young, women, my wife, used to stay up the whole time saying till him, worried about what might happen to their son right. and whether he'll come home, whether he'll end up in the hospital. And the peer pressure was tremendous. But now it's totally different. And originally people said Stucco will lose because the boys aren't going out to collect. Many organizations find sponsors beforehand or afterwards, and Stucco hasn't lost. No yeah. yeshiva's closed because they weren't collecting on right. Purim proper. Yeah, Baruch Hashem, and, and they shouldn't be collecting to begin with, but that's a completely different show and a completely different topic. Rabbi Mendy Hirth, how do people support the Purim initiative? If someone wants to sponsor students, young people, 
schools, entire programs, anything. They want to give something. How do they do it? You could go to learnonpurim.com for credit card. You could sell 732-986-6095. Or you could write a check made out to Yeshiva Kitana, One Main Avenue, Passaic, New Jersey, 07055. Please put in the memo Purim because it's a separate account and it won't get confused if you put on the memo Purim. All right. So those of you who want to send a check, it's Yeshiva Katana. One is Main Avenue, you said? Yes. Main Avenue in Passaic, New Jersey, 07055. Again, it's Yeshiva Katana. They are going to be responsible for um, helping to fund this program. Yeshiva Katana, one Main Avenue, Passaic, New Jersey, 07055. Make sure in the memo or in some type of note you include the words Purim so they know it's for the Purim Initiative. Those of you who want to uh, give via the Internet, probably the easiest way to do it for those of us who have a laptop or a computer sitting in front of us, you could literally do it right now. The truth is you could do it from your phone also. Learnonpurim.com. Learnonpurim.com. Um, in fact, uh, well, let's say I'll get to that in a second. And finally, uh, give the Zell address one more time, please, Rabbi Hearth. 732-986-6095. I got to toss in a personal thing. There's a, <laughs> I'm laughing because it's such a funny story. There's a, um, a tonight is my brother's yard site. And the, some of the old timers who remember him from, you know, when he was in high school and afterwards, what, one of the stories they always, and this is how he was, he was, he was a very cerebral academic type of person. And one of the, one of the stories that they always tell was that everybody in yeshiva was doing whatever they were doing Purim night. He was always either learning or studying on Purim nights. I will, I will tell everybody, if you want to give a donation, whose yard site is tonight. Uh, he he actually may have been the first uh, to initiate a uh, a move to spend Purim night in a much more productive manner uh, than falling downstairs and, God forbid, driving uh, haphazardly the way so many of his colleagues did way, way back then. So for those of you who want to uh, put a personal touch to it, uh, feel free to do so. Again, learnonpurim.com, learnonpurim.com is the website. Rabbi Hirth, a big yeshikoth. If call. anybody has a question, they could contact me at learnonpurim at gmail.com. Learnonpurim at gmail.com. You could ask Rabbi Hirth how you could sponsor an entire event or an entire school, an entire yeshiva, an entire program, uh, or uh, what uh, what opportunities there are for you to participate. Big yeshikoth. I think this is a really, I mean, I've said this to you over the years, I think this is a really, really big deal. I mean, the menucha sanefesh that you give parents and grandparents is is something, but even more important than that, the fact that our children, as you said, boys and now girls as well, are spending their Purim night in a uh, in a safe environment and obviously in a very positive environment. We're talking about Torah study uh, is wonderful. So big yeshikach for that, and we wish you, of course, a very happy Purim. Thank you, Nachum. Have a wonderful day. Rabbi Mendy Hirth, Purim Initiative. More coming up. It's Friday. It's JM in the AM.
a.m. and the a.m. That counts as a, a diaspora song, right? We had a request on the app for a diaspora song. There they are with Shabbat Shalom here at JM in the AM. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, Malcolm Holmline coming up next. Uh, we are going to try to reach out to him. He's uh, traveling in Israel, I believe. But he did say that hopefully he'll be able to join us at 7.40 a.m. Eastern time this morning. So we'll try to get him on the phone ASAP as we continue here on a Friday morning, Erev Shabbos at JM in the AM. <laughs> Avos done by Yossi Green and Company here on a JM in the AM Friday morning Erev Shabbos. Erev Shabbos Parshas Truma with candlelighting time at 522 in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are. 
Don't forget our friends at JewishWorldReview.com, JewishWorldReview.com, those of you who are looking for thousands of articles about Israel and the Jewish world to uh, print out before Shabbos and read over Shabbos and the weekend, we are continuously recommending JewishWorldReview.com, an amazing resource to do just that. Thousands of articles, plenty of opportunities to learn more and more about this interesting world of ours. And boy, oh boy, is it interesting, to say the least. Go to jewishworldreview.com and enjoy. Malcolm Honline is in Israel, which always makes these uh, conversations extra special, frankly. Um, One of our goals is always, and it's been this uh, goal for 40 years, is to bridge the gap between uh, Israel and the diaspora. And these conversations give us that added opportunity. Malcolm Honline is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, with us Fridays at this time for the weekly update at JM and the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Thank you, Nachum. Good to be with you as I oversee the old city of Jerusalem from one of your favorite perches. <laughs> I know where you are. You're at the Inbal Hotel, I would suspect, and getting ready to uh, have a wonderful and incredible Shabbos there in Jerusalem. Yeah, Malcolm, you, you and I always discuss whether this is the forum for stuff going on here. We usually talk about more international issues. I get it. But you can imagine how many people are anxious in this part of the world right now because of the uh, group that has called for a day of hate against members of the Jewish communities across the United States. I know some people listening right now may think I'm you know, making stuff up and how outrageous this is and who on earth would attach the phrase day of hate to any type of uh, demonstration. Uh, but in fact, this is what uh, certain people are calling for. And obviously there is uh, a measure. I don't want to get people too scared. And I certainly don't want people canceling Minyanim or avoiding Shul. Just the opposite, as you know, I'd be, I'd be encouraging and continue to encourage only the opposite. Uh, but you can imagine there's a bit of tension uh, in regard to this announcement and uh, that's been made in videos that are going viral. Uh, what could you tell us about what you know uh, about how the New York City Police Department and other police departments around the country and Jewish leaders are preparing for this Shabbos? Well, first of all, it's something that is being taken seriously, but it is not uh, a specific threat. We don't know of any institutions that are being targeted there are certain cities like Chicago where they feel more concerned because of the uh, presence of Nation of Islam and, and other groups, but not uh, not uh, Chicago nor any other place. Is there any information for a specific threat? So as you said, people should not be dissuaded from going to Shul the Shabbos, but everybody should be on higher alert. I think any security measures that are taken just to prevent um, God forbid anything from happening, because you can always get a copycat. You can get somebody who's not even affiliated with an organized group, but because you know they've read about this and because this has gotten publicity. But I can tell you that the police departments across the country are taking it seriously, are uh, um, taking precautionary measures. I think you will see a lot of uh, police cars in different locations uh, this uh, this weekend, uh, but it's just a reminder that we have to be vigilant at all times. Uh, the there have been manifestations. I'm sure people saw online the group in Orlando the, and the game defense leagues actions, and you know these other uh, extremists. Uh, 
They're not large groups. They're vocal. They, they want to try and intimidate and scare the community. That's not going to happen. And to be, um, to be as alert as possible, to be reassuring to, to the communities that uh, everything possible is being done to monitor and to check this. They want to create panic. They want to uh, intimidate. And we can't let them uh, uh, have that impact on the community. So I urge people, just every shul, to take the actions that we've uh, urged them all along. Those that have not taken advantage of the training opportunities should do so uh, on an ongoing basis through SCANS, Cure Community Network, through the JCRC and the uh, organizations in New York City that provide this kind of assistance uh, on an ongoing basis. Malcolm, a couple of uh, observations of yours that I need with this whole thing. Often in history, and I would say more than not, and frankly, I don't want to say always, no such thing as always, but but traditionally, anti-Semitism is at least couched, <laughs> at least hidden behind some type of political agenda, uh, some type of, uh, uh, of rhetoric of why being against Jews is better for the country or better for society. There's always, there's always some type of motive that usually takes the headline. What do you say about a group that's unabashedly calling this a day of hate and is proud that they're out there spreading hate and hateful messages in this manner? So, I mean, they will latch on to anything that they want. They even tied it to the Palestinian issue. If you've seen some of the associations between them and Nation of Islam, for instance, a group they would otherwise hate on every ground, yep. inviting people to speak uh, between them and, you know, them each side inviting the other, uh, making common cause, which reminds us of the, of the remaining danger for those who, who are dismissive of it. Of the you know the followers of Farrakhan and um, uh, and of course of the neo-Nazi and extremist groups left and right uh, that we have to be uh, vigilant about. But a day of hate is just a simple excuse for for trying to create uh, the kind of reaction overreaction. Uh, but it, it's important to put the police on, on alert, and we have to frankly uh, do much more on the war against Jew hatred, we really have to draw the line in the sand and demand that actions be taken, that when they're allowed to stand outside and harass people and going to a synagogue, or as we saw in Orlando or in other places, free speech is something we you know, believe is protected, but there are limits for free speech as well. And when it crosses that line, inciting people to act and to, to engage in the kind of hatred and which translates from from words to deeds. Words of violence lead to deeds of violence. And you have copycats. They often describe them as lone wolves. They're not lone wolves. The lone wolf is somebody who's living in a, you know, an animal in the desert and decides on its own to carry out an attack. These people are influenced. They are, whether it's an online source, whether it's a minister, whether it's a, an imam, whether it's somebody, a book they read, anything that could... Uh, to provide justification for unbalanced people or haters or people who are lo looking for, for uh, scapegoats for their own issues 
and many other motivations that are behind it. It's it's too long to go into now. Yeah. But it's the lesson is very clear. I'll make three quick points because I I know we we should exit this and go to other topics. I get that. But let me make three quick points, get your reaction, and and then we'll move on. Uh, The first is that, um, I mean, a reminder, like you just said, you know, (laughs) this this, um, this group with the you know, Farrakhan followers, it's a reminder of, you know, Hitler with the Mufti, you know, there's no, no way in the world, aside from the common enemy, that they would have ever had any type of association together. But uh, Jews bring everyone together um, when it comes to uh, uh, to the hatred that everyone seems, not everyone, but that the groups seem to have for them. Secondly, I think it's important to reassure our children and grandchildren that we have seen stuff like this before. You know, Skokie obviously is one thing I remember from my youth. I mean, you know, the, the, we, we should not, and I understand, and I understand how important it is to remind people of the future. Bill, I'm the one who always says this. Future of the Jewish people is not here. It's in the state of Israel, and obviously every opportunity we get to remind everybody. But, but on the other end, you know, you want to make sure that the panic doesn't set in. You have certainly overseen many of these types of episodes, uh, you know, over the decades, over the years in Jewish leadership. And I think it's important to point that out. And, of course, the last point, is the one I just sort of made, and that is that you know every home tonight you can imagine in the United States, especially among those who feel a connection to Israel, are going to start talking about uh, you know how much time do we have left here in this country, and, and and speak about it in very drastic terms. And I would recommend that parents and grandparents again toe the line and to present a balance uh, to all the children and grandchildren out there, and and talk about a future that might not include the United States, but also to you know calm things down, so to speak. What do you think? Well, I think you've raised several very important points that uh, we should discuss. One is we don't want to create panic and we don't want to scare our kids and and make them feel that Judaism is is uh, a liability and being a Jew. It means that they have to be trained. We do have more capacity today to address this. We have institutions like SCAN, which ties into the FBI, to police and the good relationships between local communities and in Jewish communities and their police departments. I know even this week there were meetings in Brooklyn and elsewhere with the police captains, and it's an ongoing process, something that didn't necessarily exist in the past and has to be augmented. Every community should know every police officer that counts, every commander, and, and meet with them, not just when there's a crisis, but to develop means of communication with them so that uh, we protect the communities, but we do have more capacity than we had before. And, and I think a greater awareness that people take threats more seriously than they had over the years. We talked about it and a lot of people say, you know, oh, it was depressing that you raised these issues. And as you know, I always said it's it's depressing. Ignorance is depressing. Yeah. Knowledge is empowering. And having the opportunity to hear and to learn about it if we would not be living up to our responsibility, if we didn't talk about it, if we know these things and and know that and see the the um, nascent uh, movements, this is not something that just popped up today. How many years have we talked about it? And people, you know, synagogues didn't and community groups didn't even respond to the offers we had to do, you know, emergency training. And we saw in Texas and in uh, Pittsburgh how that training saved lives directly because the people had gone through the exercise and knew what to do in that moment uh, when the attack was. You can't in the moment think of it. So we have to have a balanced approach to to how people address and deal with it. And if you don't see police around, 
let them know. Make your voice heard. Work through your community groups. You know, they can't have a cop car on every block. They can't have a, a policeman walking every street. But we have to make sure that there is the proper kind of coverage and a visible presence, which is a deterrent in and of itself for somebody planning to do something. And deterrence in this case means that they go someplace else to do it, but not where where they meet resistance. Right. So very important. And they should talk to the rabbanim about what they can have and not have in the shul. Every rabbi you know, has to make that decision and uh, process that. And finally, I'll just say, I know this is an editorial, but I'll just say that um, when the kids say, yeah, but there's so many members of government who are Jewish, it doesn't matter. And uh, if you look at who's, um, uh, who's behind, who, who some of the people are behind the defund the police movement, uh, you'd be shocked that, uh, unfortunately, there are so many members of our very own community who are members of government and have taken on that cause. Ukraine one year later. Good idea for the foreign minister of Israel to visit the Ukraine. I say it like that because I I think Israel has sort of tried to maintain, and we discussed this a couple of weeks ago, sort of tried to maintain that they're not taking sides in this battle. Uh, Good idea for the visit or not? Uh, Israel did take sides, as has most of the world. For Israel, we've talked about some of the consequences because of Russia's role in, um, in in Syria in particular, and Russia's capacities in Syria to to make it difficult for Israeli planes, et cetera, to to maneuver freely. Uh, but Israel couldn't stay on the sideline when the whole world was lining up. They did provide humanitarian aid and uh, were amongst the first for which they got no credit uh, and have consistently been providing additional assistance and defensive equipment. They're not providing offensive um, stuff like some of the Europeans who are now coming on board and sending two tanks, three tanks, um, some more uh, to to assist the, um, the troops. Nobody knows what the long-term co- uh, outcome of this will be, how long Ukraine can sustain it. The president announced another $500 million in aid, uh, but there's going to be growing resistance to it in America, I think. And people are going to question uh, the wisdom of of keeping to pour, keep pouring more and more money and um, uh, weapons into it. On the other hand, if uh, th- there is a widespread belief that uh, Russia's Russia's ability to uh, take over ultimately or to occupy uh, parts of, or larger parts of of Ukraine would be detrimental to the security of Europe and to the long term uh, interests, and that. You know, the numbers of losses estimated now at 300,000 on both sides, 150,000 on each side. A number of troops that Russia has lost will also start to create, I think, a backlash at home. Uh, he has not uh, actually deployed the, the hundreds of thousands of troops that he called up. And and you, there are, you know, really widespread battles and terrible destruction that comes in its wake. So the, for Israel... Uh, the idea that it stands on the side of, of freedom and sustaining a government uh, is a, an important message for them. Uh, you know, when I was in the Gulf last week, one of the messages that we heard repeatedly was that people lost lose confidence that the West, and including the United States, will be there if, God forbid, something happened with Iran. For Israel, that's a constant consideration. You know, they've, they're they here. Uh, 
as people told us, you know, they're, they, they have no option. They can't pull up and leave, like, you know, ships from the Sixth Fleet, even though America has had an increasing presence, invisible presence in Operation Juniper Oak, which got almost no attention. And Nachum, when you want to see the hypocrisy of the media, here you had 6,000 American troops, the largest joint exercise in history between the United States and Israel, 112 planes, 12 naval units, a U.S. aircraft carrier, the B-52 bombers flying over from the United States to the Middle East and going up Red Sea. And yet nobody wrote about it. Nobody covered this amazing demonstration of the common interests and common goals of the United States and, and Israel. And of course, the message uh, to Iran. So uh, with Iran's increasing influence and role on the Russian side against uh, Ukraine, as the Israeli ambassador UN spoke about it this week, that has broader implications for Israel as well. And the, the, uh, as, as Iran still remains the focal point of, of Israeli security concerns and defense concerns uh, beyond you know, the, the some of the terrorism and, and things that have, have occurred, um, is, Israel could not stand on the sidelines. And they, I believe, came under a lot of U.S. pressure, European pressure, a lot of criticism, unwarranted, because for a country its size, with the special considerations it has, I think that it's it has to walk a very fine line, but stand by the principles. Right. Well, I stand corrected then on the taking sides issue. But what prompted my question was that I was always under the impression that with the aid you described, the defensive aid, we'll call it for a moment, that Israel gives to the Ukraine and with the humanitarian aid, etc. I I always thought there was a a different attitude from Israeli officials when it came to the presidential level. In other words, sort of this game where they're doing what you just described, but at the same time trying not to to get Putin angry. And I thought a visit from the foreign minister on that level, you know, would be testing those waters. Well, you've had so many visits by European leaders and others. Uh, There have been phone calls with Zelensky and Israeli officials, uh, you know, over the last couple of months. So it's not the initial contact. uh, And I think the physical presence was something that uh, they felt they uh, needed to do. Right. The foreign minister is a very reasonable guy. He's uh, I met with him uh, during this week, and uh, uh, I think that um, the decision was not taken lightly. It's not something they rushed into in the first weeks of the war, you know, just to raise the flags, but to show the level of concern and to show their allies that Israel is there and, and, and is involved and committed America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSiegel.com, on the NachumSiegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Honline, Vice Chairman, Conference of Presidents, Major American Jewish Organizations. Malcolm with us from Israel. He's literally in Jerusalem as we speak. So I don't know if your colleagues in the Gulf would agree, the ones you spoke to last week, but it does seem that uh, whatever hope we had for Saudi Arabia becoming part of the Abraham Accords you know, uh, uh, trying to participate as much as possible in whatever we consider to be a democratic process or, you know, toward that type of of uh, of, of um, atmosphere in the Middle East. It, it seems like that's, that's just not going to happen. They have expanded their crackdown on dissenters. They have uh, uh, handed out strict sentences to those who speak out against the government. Is Saudi Arabia going the other way after we thought they were 
warming up toward uh, um, uh, toward more uh, Western type attitudes. I don't think that they're going um, in a different direction than where where they have been. I think the one lesson we know is that if you want something to happen with Saudi Arabia, don't talk about it in the press. You know, you create create the facts on the ground and you'll be okay. But they are very allergic to public discussion, which rouses opposition, even in the country. There are still people who would oppose uh, greater diplomatic relations. Uh, it's, I think that there have been ongoing ties and connections uh, between Israel and um uh, and Saudi or through intermediaries, and more may go on on the ground than than is obvious. As you saw this week, uh, the uh, yesterday that Oman gave Israel overflight rights, which is a big help for trade with uh, the Far East and could make Israel a further hub for uh, business people going um, west to east. The um, but the Saudi track. Is always one have been in peril, and especially while the king, who is more hesitant than the crown prince, has been about contacts with Israel, uh, and because of you know when events here uh, often act as uh, make it more difficult, they say because of the domestic population and seeing the some of the uh, recent involvements in in defending Israel by actions in the uh, in the territories. Very essential actions and so distorted in the media that it's almost unbelievable. I saw headlines on two or three stations saying, you know, nine killed in Janine and then Israeli, uh, two Israelis hurt, not saying they were kids that were run over and that a, a nine year old and an eight year old, uh, a six year old are are killed. And the, the, the fact that the terrorists, the people killed were all terrorists and they were engaged in, as was the group yesterday in Shrem, engaged immediately in threatening actions against Israel in terrorist activities. It was a lion's den group and that no country in the world would be asked to, to ignore that or not take the necessary action to prevent an attack. And this time it was a daylight attack, which is somewhat different than, you know, usually they're at night and uh, not as visible here. That, of course, the press then jumps on it. And they show a picture of a guy saying somebody running away was shot. They don't say that this, these were terrorists who were escaping from uh, a place that Israel had identified, a building, and were armed and, and very dangerous uh, people. And that the there's always collateral damage, as they call it, uh, you know, that uh, a civilian in the wrong place at the wrong time, and we right. don't know who does it. And and they don't care. They they want civilian damage at their deaths. They, they relish it because then they can go to the international community and condemn Israel. That And the United Nations did it this week. Again, it's, it's uh, you know, it's such a double standard, a triple standard, an unreasonable standard that they hold Israel to. Back on February the 10th, which is the uh, most recent time that we've spoken on the air before today, you told us that on Monday the 13th of February would be a difficult day. For Israel at the UN because of the potential UN Security Council resolution and vote, etc. Uh, what actually did happen at the UN, and how did we avoid what would have been a much bigger brouhaha? Well, I don't know how much we avoided, and I, I assume the United States worked behind the scenes to prevent the full-scale condemnation 
But we did see uh, a resolution from the United Nations that condemned Israel's actions. And, you know, they go after them over the settlements, over everything. Uh, Here you have a world in which people are being killed in massive numbers. You have violations, human rights violations, war crimes being committed in, in, in not only Ukraine, but uh, in other places. And yet the only country they focus on, the only one subject repeatedly to UN condemnations to UN resolutions is Israel, which is fighting a terrorist onslaught inspired by outside parties and particularly Iran. And uh, so the resolution, you know, people dismiss it because it comes from the UN. You can't dismiss it because it impacts public opinion and has ramifications, even though this is this doesn't carry with it specific things, but it will it will enhance the Palestinians' actions at the International Criminal Court and Court of Justice and uh, and further, you know, isolate Israel when you see countries joining together in this kind of condemnation. Hard to believe that we've spoken as long as we have already this morning and have not even brought up judicial reform. Have you uh, been stuck in any of the traffic jams this week due to the protests going on in Israel? Uh, actually, not directly, but there was demonstrations here uh, outside our hotel by a more right-leaning group, but still critical of the process. The demonstrations are mostly on Saturday night, uh, although this past week on Monday and Tuesday they had demonstrations in Jerusalem. It did hamper people coming into the city, but it seems the police handled it quite well. And uh, for the hours of when you had the, the people there, it was uh, an impediment. Uh, but the bigger problem is the mood in the country, the the articles, the media coverage, which is so one-sided. Uh, I, I can't say that this thing has been handled well, because I think there had to be much more communication with the people and explanation, certainly to foreigners who don't even understand what the issues are. But here, the reports of democracy is dead and dying. The prime minister spoke this week to us and reassured everybody that democracy is not dead and democracy will remain strong. And that, um, you know, a lot of the rumored changes are are not in the offing. But there is a consensus on the left and the right that the court needed reform. The question is what reforms and, and why wasn't there more of a discussion you know, to prepare people for what uh, was being proposed. And now there is the belief that, you know, they're going to remove the protections for people and that the court is going to be completely politicized and dominated. Uh, I think that it'll be a much more limited actions that will be taken. Uh, But there has to be a much more uh, organized process of communication and the threats of people to leave the country and to, you know, of, of high tech companies uh, taking their money out. I, I know that some of them, it's not, it is not a valid threat. I mean, the, the, I, I, the climate is real though. And I, I don't want to minimize it. I gotta, it's real. I got to say two things. First of all, I'm so glad you brought up the high tech thing. <laughs> and I know that, you know, we hate giving publicity to the New York times, but boy, was that article suspicious. I mean, I read that entire article <laughs> and I still don't see any measure of proof that what they're claiming that high tech companies are really going to leave Israel and invest otherwise, or or invest in staff members in other places, the it just it, the whole thing didn't make sense to me. That one th- one of that this thing, judicial reform, however it ends up, would actually cause that to happen, makes no sense to me unless I misread the article. 
Uh, so that looks really suspicious to me as if someone with a certain political agenda was trying to scare people into, oh my gosh, you know, the, 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 the thing that runs the Isra- that keeps the engine of the Israeli economy going is about to be lost because of the right wing. That's what it seemed to me. All right. I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm, I, 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 I don't know enough, honestly, of the details of the legal processes that are involved. I understand in principle what, what, what they want to do, but uh, I think a lot of people are commenting on things that they don't understand. And I'm talking about the foreign media and, right. and playing this, ex- exaggerating some of it. But I will tell you again that there is real concern. I've heard it from people from various parts of the spectrum about the divisiveness and and we have to be very concerned that the messages that have come out some of the statements irresponsible statements you know will be used by the bds and by all these people long after this debate is resolved right that, that I, they are that, in, that, in that i that I totally get. But you know what the New York Times article reminded me of? It, re- it reminded me of you know when they found the two people that threatened to move to Canada if Trump's elected. I think they found the three people in Israeli high tech who are warning everybody they're going to take their money out if, you know, if the judicial reform goes through. That's what it looked like to me. That's why I say the whole thing looks suspicious. I, I understand. And the bulk of the high tech people are not moving. And some of those that threatened to move have threatened in the past to do so. But but I did speak to high tech people and and they have told me that they're very concerned that they won't get investment, that foreign investment won't come if they think there's instability. And I can tell you that Arab leaders who are not hostile to Israel said to us that they were very concerned about the stability of Israel right. in the wake of these demonstrations, because they see the reports, right. they see the accounts also in the media and how, how they play it up. Right, but that, I think there's yeah. another message, what, one minute, Nahum, yeah. that this is such a vibrant democracy. You know, when 100,000 or 200,000 people come out and demonstrate, it's like 3 million people coming out in the United States. Right. Yet you don't read about looting. You don't read about rioting. You don't read about, you know, people being shot. Can you imagine if, if millions of people were demonstrating in the United States, what the consequences would be? So, that people could argue that this is, you know, going to re-enhance or reinforce participatory democracy because people, you know, are, are getting involved and making their voices heard. Uh, I understand that, it, you know, it, it may be a negative motivation, but it could be a positive uh, outcome. And that uh, the point is that it is a democracy that allows people who are critical of the government to come out and demonstrate week after week and be protected and be allowed to do so. I totally agree with you, and it's something to be proud of, and I totally agree with you. That's why I think in the end, Israel's going to be fine, no matter what happens, but as I, I, I dedicated this week to try to understand this issue, just to get to the crux of the matter, because you know people ask me about it, and you know it, it's confusing, especially when you're 6,000 miles away. And I, I, I think, and I don't know if you agree with this analysis, I think the right purposely overreached on this issue purposely shot for the stars and tried to you know put out proposals out there where they'd get everything in their favor literally in the attempt and in the you know for the conclusion of reaching some type of compromise that everyone would be able to live with they're led by a brilliant uh, diplomatic figure Netanyahu knows what he's doing and I am assuming and I hope I'm right I mean you'll tell me if I'm right I'm assuming that they just they they, they went for everything out there in public just to be able to, you know, calm everybody down afterwards and and show, hey, you know, we're able to compromise and look both sides are scathed a bit, but we're ready to move on together. I, I wish that I could say that that's the scenario. I don't know. Um, 
I, I don't think that this is a kind of game. This is brinksmanship, if that's the case. And I think it's a very dangerous game, if that's the case. I think that that some of the parties are really going for broke because they want to make this absolute changes. Uh, we see some issues that came up now about the, the number of new units that are being built and other things. And Netanyahu constantly says, you know, I'm in charge. I will, I will have my finger on the whatever final decisions are made and uh, has addressed uh, you know, some of the issues, including about the Kotel, saying there'll be no radical changes and there's not going to be other things that people have, have written and said. But I think we shouldn't underestimate uh, the damage that's being done because they can distort and misrepresent, because there wasn't a kind of preparatory steps. You know, they rushed in the first day and right. started introducing all these measures where I think it would have been smarter to have had an address to the nation and a you know, uh, uh, some perspective being put onto it and, and you know, calming down. They do, and, and still remember, you know, it's a country of 9 million people. If 100,000 or 200,000, 300,000 demonstrate, that's not the voice of the majority. Right. And if you, we respect the voice of the majority, they elected a, a government. Whether they thought this government wanted all of this is a very uh, difficult question to answer. And pollsters argue that that, you know, many of them are having second thoughts or whatever, but it's clear that they're not looking for a left-wing government. The people today in Israel are not looking for that. But here, this issue has been exploited, and, you know, we don't know what the real numbers are in that regard in terms of public uh, support or not. Well, I don't know if Netanyahu is the right guy for what you just described, especially as he's trying to hold on to the, you know, the, the, the stronghold of the right-wing coalition. And secondly... <laughs> And you said you said it earlier in regard to the other thing. I mean, no matter what, even even if he would have been Reagan-esque, right? Even if he would have done the way you know it would have approached this the way you described it, the media the media still is such a is such a thorn in his side, and has you know is so slanted in what in one direction. I don't even know if it would have made a difference if he would have gone ahead and acted in that manner, uh, and that makes it that makes it really difficult. Yeah, but you don't give, I think, what a lot of the pundits would would say to that, which is true. I mean, the media here certainly is one-sided and uh, largely uh, uh, critical. Even papers that didn't used to be, right. uh, to be uh, changing an orientation. Right. But but you, you also, I mean, in knowing that and anticipating it, if you wanted to create a showdown, you have to do one that where you control the outcome. Right. where you know what's going to come out of it. And Netanyahu certainly is a brilliant strategist and, you know, is not somebody who could tumble into something. But on the other hand, there may be issues over which he, he did not have control. Right. It's funny. He's really good at what you just described, but he really didn't go in that direction at all this time around. It's interesting. And uh, he did speak to the conference and was very, you know, reassuring to them. Hey, what did he uh, say? What did he say about the anti-Semitism in America? He did not speak about anti-Semitism in America, and he said that he's under a gag rule, which was imposed on him, so he couldn't talk about the judicial reform uh, uh, legislation per se. And, you know, and of course, because he's under the court case, they're saying, well, this is all an attempt yeah. to, to, you know, protect himself and protect the, the yeah. and, and take control of the court uh, because of his cases. I think it's an unfair when you're in the public eye, you're always going to be criticized, right, Mr. Holmes? You'll get poked. Poked in the eye. You're always going to be, right? 
I thank you. Enjoy Shabbat in Jerusalem and uh, have a wonderful Shabbos. And everybody should know it's very calm here. It's beautiful. People are getting ready for Shabbos everywhere and um, and it's safe to come. People are writing me and asking me if it's if it's uh, safe uh, as far as I can say and that it's beautiful here and they should they will have a wonderful time. And the hotels are full. The hotels are full. There are a lot of simchas here too as well. So right. muzzle tough to everybody. You're gonna and especially a muzzle tough to lay a home line and to Avrami on their engagement. Uh Avrami Gartenhouse on their engagement this week. Mazel tov. So we're breaking the news. That is news breaking. Although it's although it was out there ready before. So you're going to have to walk up the hill to get to the Great Synagogue tomorrow. I walked up last week, and I look forward to it again. Um, make sure you give an aliyah to the appropriate guests. Otherwise, you're going to be in trouble after Shabbos. They all got, and they all were very delighted. <laughs> and one waiting for you for your offer. I know. Well, not my offer, my son's offer. But we have first have to decide well, where we have to first decide where it is. And, but don't worry. After that shop is, I'll still call you to complain whether I dive in there or not. That I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Some traditions die hard. Uh, Malcolm Holmline is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. If you're diving in the Great Synagogue tomorrow morning, go over and say hi to Malcolm. And uh, he'll join us, please God, again next week, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time, Friday morning right here at JM in the AM. Uh, more coming up. It is a Friday morning edition. I do remind you that tonight is uh, my brother's uh, uh, 12th yard site. And I always use the opportunity every single year to remind everybody who suffers from heartburn and or reflux that often that will turn into Barrett's and that often that will turn into esophageal cancer, which is what he passed away from 12 years ago. We use this opportunity every year. His yard site's on the 4th of Adar uh, to remind everybody out there who does suffer from uh, heartburn slash reflux, get in touch with your doctor and make sure to arrange for an endoscopy. It's one of those screenings that can be very helpful in adding many, many years to your life. And I know this announcement has helped people throughout the years. This announcement actually has been credited with saving some lives or at least saving people from very difficult situations. So in his memory, please uh, go and get an endoscopy. And tomorrow morning, no matter where you are, please have a l'chaim le'ilu nishmas harav Moshe Yonah ben harav Zev Halevi, harav Moshe Yonah ben harav Zev Halevi, and will, of course, dedicate Rabbi Yudin's discussion this morning about Parshas Truma in memory of Harav Moshe Yonah Ben Harav Zev Halevi. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader emeritus, congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Truma. Parshas Truma, according to the Chinuch, contains three mitzvos, two positive and one restriction. And let's understand something. The theme of Parshas Truma is the Osuli Mikdash, Bishochanti Bisochom, to make for Hashem a sanctuary, and He will dwell not only in it, which is an interesting challenging concept whereby 
we understand that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who is Melo Chol HaOretz Kvodo, he is found literally all over. What does it mean, a house for God? That he will be mitzamtzim, he will literally concretize and have more of himself in a particular place. And this idea of making a home for God is not only a one-time mitzvah, that here in the desert we needed a place. And in Eretz Yisrael, we had one and two, but a mikdash, but please God, this is a mitzvah lidoros, whereby in each and every generation we are obligated to build a home for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and Hashem, there will be that third base HaMikdash, and we should understand why. So the Chinuch in Mitzvah 95 begins this mitzvah of building a base HaBchira, a home for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and he gives what for? One. Shaniyeh makrivim sham korbanoseinu elav. The first primary reason for a Pesamigdash is for us to offer korbanos. And even though we haven't had korbanos in the actual sense of bringing animals to a Pesamigdash for close to 2,000 years, this is something of major importance in our Yahadus, and we should not put it on the back burner. We should study the laws of Korbanos, recite Korbanos as part of our tefillah on a regular basis. And secondly, besides Korbanos, writes Chinuch, quoting from his Rebbe the Rambam, there should be Aliyah the Regel, there should be the place where Jews will ascend thrice yearly, Pesach, Shavuot, Sukkos, and that's where they will spend and celebrate their holiday, and Kibbutz Kol Yisrael. There's going to be the gathering at those times of the entire nation of Israel. The Beis HaMikdash united all of Kla Yisrael and Mir Hashem will in the future as well. There's not going to be a Hasidisha Litvisha Beis HaMikdash, one Beis HaMikdash for all of Kla Yisrael. And as the Novi Yecheskel prophesized the many different entrances to the third base of Migdosh is not only because of traffic control in order to make access to the base of Migdosh more accessible. No, it's to be a place where all Jews, different as we are, all Jews will be united <coughs> around the base of Migdosh. I'd like to focus indeed 
upon one word as found in the beginning of the Parsha. The Parsha begins with the words, V'yikhuli Truma. They shall take for me literally a donation. The Torah is being teaching us the following idea that the contributions which were given to the base to the Mishkan, as we find in this week's parsha, had to be Li. Take for me, Hashem says, a donation. Now, what does that mean, first of all, Li? So Rashi says, Li is Lishmi, which means it is to be for His sake. As we say, Lishma. Lishma means that not only is the act involved, but the intention of the individual plays a very important part of the process. And without the accompanying positive intent, the mitzvah is lacking. Now we know, the rabbis teach us, that there is a concept, the olam yasuk adam, Torah mitzvos, a person should engage in Torah mitzvos, afilu shalolishma, even without the proper accompanying thought. Why? Shemitol shalolishma, even if it's done without the proper intent, bolishma, eventually it will come to the uh, proper way with the right intention. So we see that very often the intent is not something which is a deal breaker. However, here when it comes to the construction of a house for God, it has to be done lishma. It has to be done literally with the proper intention. And what's the reason for that? Because we are not simply building a structure, a physical structure. We are building Toho Rotsuf Ava. The foundation of the house of Hashem is laid with love. Ah, if, and indeed, this is a major theme of the Sefer HaChinuch in so many mitzvot, and that is that we direct our mitzvot to Hashem, so He in turn can reciprocate to us. We give, each one gives their donation to the Mishkan, to the sanctuary, and it is accompanied by love. Ah, if each one donated with affection, excitement, enthusiasm, yearning for spirituality, Hashem therefore responds in kind and returns to us His love. So therefore, it's not simply an address where we are going to, quote, visit and be inspired by Hashem. The inspiration that we're going to get from the Beis Amigdash 
is a reflection of that which we are putting in. And therefore, it has to be li, for me, lishma. And indeed, this, you can say, is actually found in the words themselves, v'yichu, take from me a donation. What do you mean, take from me? Obviously, it should have been v'yitnuli, to give. But that is exactly the point. In order for us to derive the Ava, the Kedusha, the Tahara, the purity, the holiness, and the love from this home, it is necessary for man to give to this cause with these most lofty spiritual thoughts in his mind. Now, if we think about it, if the entire world and everything herein belongs to God, why does the Torah say, and these are, and the Torah gives us a listing of those items, precious items, which the Jewish people were to donate, Kesef, Zohav, the Choshes, right? There, we are to give gold, silver, copper, and all other precious materials for the building of the sanctuary. So the Sefer Darche Musar explains that how does one portray and give love to a cause? By taking something which is dear to him and giving it to somebody else. And therefore, by our giving Kesef, Zohav, and Nechoshes, our giving the precious materials which mean a lot to an individual, by giving it to the Mishkan, they are thereby demonstrating that accompanying the actual metals and other gifts represents the true love that one is giving to Hashem for this. Now, if we think about it, let's understand. Why do we have as well the various accoutrements, the special furniture which is found in the Mikdash? It's understandable that we might need a Mishkan for the purpose of bringing korbanos. Not in everybody's backyard. We're not talking about a barbecue in your backyard. We're talking about bringing a korban at the mikdash. But why the need for the kalim? Why the need for the oron? Why the need the ark? Why the need for a shulchan, a table? Why the need for a menorah? So Rav Salvechik Zetzal explained very beautifully that just as we find in Malachim Beis that the Isha Hashanum Shunamis, and this is the Avtorah for Parshas Vayera, whereby this special woman was able to realize that Elisha, the Navi, was a tzaddik, 
even though he didn't walk around proclaiming that about himself. And therefore she says to her husband, let us have the schus of hachnosas orchim, of opening up our home for him. Let us make for him Elias Kir, an attic, his own room. And what are we going to put in this attic in order that he should feel at home? The true Achnasas Orachim were going to make for him a mitah, a bed, a shulchan, a table, a menorah, a lamp, and a kise, a chair. Now these various furniture, says Rav Salavechik, are not simply the practical aspects that one would need for their, quote, home away from home, but rather these represent the true essence and purposes of the home. Take a step back and ask yourself, we human beings have a need for a home. We need a place to sleep. We need a place to eat. We need a place for our personal needs. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who doesn't have any, quote, needs whatsoever, why do we have the Oron? Why do we have the Shulchan? And why do we have the Menorah? And he answers very beautifully that these furniture represent various aspects of the home. The mitah and the shulchan, the bed and the chair, represent the intimacy that is found in the home, which reflects the intimacy that Chal Yisrael have with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The the shulchan represents not only our parnasa, but the shulchan represents the ability to elevate our eating. Not only that our food be kosher, but that we have guests at our table. So the ability to elevate. The menorah represents not only that we need light in our home, but it represents the light of Torah. So the bed reflecting the Kedusha of Klai Yisrael, Taras HaMishpacha. So when the Torah says, make for me a sanctuary and I will dwell there in, meaning amongst them, our homes are to reflect the special sanctity as found within the Mishkan. And so I strongly recommend that before you enter your home, pause for a moment, knock on the door, not only as our rabbis teach us at the beginning of Parshas Vayikra, but reminding yourself you're about to enter not only a practical structure, you're about to enter literally the res- 
a place where the Shekhinah resides, the privilege to call our home, our home, a miniature Beis HaMikdash. Shabbat Shalom to all.
J.M. and the A.M. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Candlelighting time at 522 in New York. On this Erev Shabbos, Parsha's Truma. That's the Truma selection done by the one and only Eitan Katz here at J.M. in the A.M. Thanks so much for joining us, everybody. Don't forget great weekend programming, including Saturday Night Seagull tomorrow night with Avrami and Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler. It starts at 9 p.m. Eastern time. Sunday, it's J.M. Sunday with Matis. It's amazing what he does every single week. 7 a.m. Sunday morning, live, with another edition of JM Sunday. Join Matis for that. Um, Monday, we're back, of course, starting at 6 a.m. right here at JM in the AM, and I hope you'll be tuned in for that here at JM in the AM. And uh, the rest of today, hey, you've got the uh, Kedem presentation of the Arab Shabbos show with Mark Zomik at 10 a.m., the Arab Kedem presentation of the Arab Shabbos music mix, Kedem presentation of the final hour, all happening today right here on the Nahum Siegel Network. Reminder from our friends at Shop Eichlers and ShopEichlers.com. Book Week is on from now through the 26th of February. Now through Sunday, it's Book Week 2023 at ShopEichlers.com, which means all English title books are 15% off. All English title books are 15% off. Uh, you'll find it on the website at shopbyclothes.com. Celebrate Book Week by celebrating savings. And remember, if you are a, a resident of New York or New Jersey, shopbyclothes.com can arrange for you to uh, get your order by the end of the day. Yeah, I'm not kidding. Check them out for details, shopbyclothes.com. It's Book Week now through the 26th of February. Again, all English title books are, are 15% off. At shopeichlers.com, take advantage and enjoy the savings. Shopeichlers.com, book week 2023. More coming up. It's a Friday morning broadcast here at JM in the AM. And, um, oh, I wanted to, speaking of books, I just wanted to wish a mazel tov again to a Gorf, Jordan B. Gorfinkel, and Yael Nathan. Their brand new Koran Tanakh graphic novel, Esther, for Purim, is pretty amazing. Really amazing, frankly. And uh, I wanted to wish them another mazel tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. Uh, tonight is my brother's twelfth uh, yard site, Harav Moshe Yonah and Harav Zev Halevi, and uh, he passed away twelve years ago from esophageal cancer. And we announce every single year in his memory that anybody in this audience or anywhere that suffers from heartburn slash reflux that often turns into Barrett's, which often turns into esophageal cancer. And I don't wish on anybody to go through what he went through. Um, so what do you do? If you're a heartburn sufferer or speak to your doctor, maybe at a certain age, he'll, he or she will prescribe it anyway. You want to speak to them about an endoscopy. Endoscopy, it's a screening that checks the esophagus and sees if anything bad is growing in there. And the earlier you get it, meaning the earlier you catch something, um, the uh, the more likelihood that you'll live many, many, many more happy years. So please get an endoscopy, and uh, when you have a chance tomorrow, participate in a kiddish, and keep in mind Harav Moshe Yona ben Harav Zev Halevi, whose yard site's in the fourth of Adar. Harav Moshe Yona ben Harav Zev Halevi. More coming up. It's Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is JM in the AM.
Thank you. 
J.M. in the A.M. with Yitzchak Fuchs. Time to say good Shabbos. Journey's next here at J.M. in the A.M. Candlelighting in New York, 522. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Time to say good Shabbos with Journey's at J.M. in the A.M.
time, my brothers and sisters in Israel. We are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web, and AlchemSingle.com, on the AlchemSingle Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing Friday morning edition of JMNAM. Thanks so much for joining us, everybody. Plenty more over the weekend, of course. Mark Zomik and the Arab Shabbos Show at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Arab Shabbos Music Mix in the final hour, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Tomorrow night, it's Saturday Night Seagull with Avrami and Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler. Sunday, it's Matas with JM Sunday, beginning at 7 a.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Nahum Siegel Network. Have a fabulous Shabbos, wonderful weekend. Until uh, Monday, Nahum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.